Hello and welcome to the Midlife Manifesto podcast. I'm Leslie Ellis and this is the show where, through the stories of my wonderful friends, we celebrate and commiserate, we share the ups and the downs and the challenges and opportunities that midlife brings. Today on the show we have the lovely Juliet Thomas. Now if I was to describe Juliet, I would say she is generous she's open she's kind she's very creative she's kind of what you might call enlightened and she's so calm (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh i'm not sure i've been described as that before (laughs) well to me you always seem calm so juliet welcome thank you great (laughs) to be here i'm so glad that you agreed to be on my podcast and you were one of the first ones to put your hands up and say i'll do it yeah definitely i love podcasts i'm a bit of a podcast addict so yeah i was well up for it Yes, well, um, in actual fact, Julia, you are one of the main reasons I am here recording this podcast. (laughs) Do do you remember? I do, I remember the conversation, yeah. Yeah, so basically I'd had this in my mind to do for a long time and um, Juliet knew this and she's she's a little bit like my my other and our mutual friend, Rachel. She's kind of a bit like a cheerleader, aren't you? Yes. She's always, you know, when I come up with an idea, Juliet's usually the one saying, go on, do it, this'll be great, this'll be great. (laughs) And uh, Juliet told me about Alex, our producer, and the studio that we're in. And so that's how the podcast came to life. Yeah, definitely. So, Juliet, we'll usually talk about how we know each other. Yep. So I've alluded to the fact that we have a mutual friend. Yeah, so we both know Rachel. I've known Rachel 21, 22 years, I think. We um, used to work together at what was NTL Telecoms in Huddersfield. And um, we met there and then we both married boys from there as well. So the guys know each other as well as us two knowing each other. So, yeah, we've known each other a long, long time. And she's quite the hostess with the mostess, isn't she? So we've um, got together (laughs) during events that she's hosted. So that's how we met, I think. We have. I think we met on a dog walk. Oh, yes, actually. I forgot about that one. Yeah, we We did. did. On a really hot day, wasn't it? It was gorgeous. Yeah, Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. So Julia is a fellow dog lover like me. She's got a beautiful... (laughs) Is he a cockapoo? She. She, she, Barley. Yeah, she is. She's nuts, but she's lovely. She's beautiful. (laughs) And I've got a completely nuts uh, Springer dog called Parker. And uh, yeah. So so we met in the woods. We did. So, yes, Julia is here to talk about... Um, she's she's not had the easiest life in actual fact, but she's here to talk about what her life has been like. So she's going to talk through kind of some of the problems that she's had to face, which have been quite eye opening. <laughs> and but what's really important is she's going to talk about how these problems in life they don't define us. Juliet's a walking example of somebody who is just comes across as really calm and sorted and you would not in a million years <laughs> guess the backstory so Juliet's yeah. here to talk about a backstory and yeah. take us through that so over to you Juliet okay so yeah um it's quite strange where I did some bullet points for Leslie and it's it's quite interesting when I write it all down and I look back on it myself and I I still to this day kind of think did is you know did all that really happen was that me and I think it's because I have kind of separated myself from that story so much to make sure it doesn't define me so yeah it started off quite a normal idyllic childhood um I was an only child it took my mum and dad 
five years to get me and they were just about to go on the adoption list and then I, I turned up. So I was an only child in a street full of boys, which was interesting. So I, f- <laughs> I very quickly had to become a tomboy and, you know, do my tree climbing skills, spent a lot of time in the woods or on, on bikes. Um, we had a pet shop. So my immediate siblings were animals. I had literally a garage and two huts full of animals that we bred for the pet shop and I helped my dad out a lot. So I loved all that. We went to Scotland every year. My dad was a massive nature fanatic and despite everything, which I'll tell you soon, that's the one thing I got from him was the absolute love and passion for nature, which mm-hmm. um, still to this day is is very much there. Um, so I'm grateful for that. But so, yeah, it was quite normal up until kind of age 10. Um, my mum got diagnosed with a non-malignant brain tumour um, that's thankfully still um, not causing any problems. They did treatment to shrink it. But I definitely remember that kind of fear of she was about to have an operation. I was 10 and, you know, I was saying goodbye to her and, and not knowing what was going to happen. And then oh. right at the last minute, they changed their minds and, and caught brought on this pioneering treatment um but I remember my dad um making me go out to the car sort of by myself until he sort you know he kind of was the last person to leave her and I remember that feeling of like you know why am I being shoved out of the way it's very strange um and then kind of so I got to age 12 and I, you know my mum was fine so that was all sorted and I was kind of very aware of my parents not getting on but not kind of sure why and I had friends whose parents were splitting up um, and getting divorced and things like that so you know that was kind of happening with to friends and then um, when one day my mum came and collected me from school when I was 12 early and we had quite open plan classrooms and I remember being mortified because at that age it's it's mortifying isn't it you don't want to stand out at all. all your friends are there. and she was like in floods of tears as well so I was like oh no what's going on here and she took me off to my auntie's and um, basically said that um, my dad has kicked us out. She'd been having an affair. So my kind of life just changed overnight completely. Like just in a um, moment. Yeah. And I very much blamed my mum. I was, you know, quite a daddy's girl growing up. So I thought it was all my mum's terrible fault. And then we kind of went back and forth. So I was at my auntie's for a while. But I very much remember my mum being really upset and me not being. It was almost like a role reversal. I was suddenly the parent kind of looking after my mum and my mum was the one upset it was very strange 12's um, very young to yeah, be I wasn't, at that point yeah I wasn't like immediately upset I think I was more cross and embarrassed to be honest at, at that time it's kind of that age isn't it where you yeah. think don't want anything to be ab- abnormal mm-hmm. so um yeah we ended up going back to my dad's house I'm not quite sure why part, part of this whole thing you'll realize there's quite a lot of holes in it I have like real strong memories and then real bits of I have not a clue what happened during that time frame. It, it, you might not have you might yeah. not have been in the loop though maybe. Well true that and I just think I think your brain just selects stuff and wipes it out mm. you know when you've been through stuff like this so we went back um, to my dad's house and it was okay for a while but then he's you know looking back as an adult I can tell he was very depressed he'd sit in the chair all day long wouldn't move wouldn't speak um and then until one night which is probably the most shocking thing <laughs> out of all of this but you know I'm quite used to it now um my mum and me were staying in my mum and dad's bed and my dad was in my bed and I remember being particularly annoyed because I'd just had my bedroom decorated so I had all nice Aww. um 
wallpaper and everything and he came and said goodnight to us in a bit of a strange way that alerted my mum to something not being right so we kind of like stayed in bed for about 10 minutes and then she went into my bedroom and I just heard this shouting and this crash of glass so I ran in and my mum had basically swiped the um he, he was trying to take an overdose of this blue liquid and she'd whacked it out of his hand and it had hit my pristine wallpaper so there was like a blue splatter across the wallpaper so I remember being really cross about that and then she ran downstairs and rang the ambulance and said stay with him which I did and you were 12 at yeah this point. yeah so I might have been 13 I quite 12 or 13 and um yeah he he slowly went unconscious but as he went unconscious he was smiling and I remember just being so angry at that point just thinking you selfish son of a gun so then sorry you're free to swear <laughs> honestly if there's any excuse for swearing this yeah is I was you know I just thought how selfish is that I was really cross so and you, that you were actually thinking that at age 13 yeah you were, yeah right. I was I was really yeah really cross about it and then we went the ambulance came he got shipped off to hospital we had to follow um and we followed and then on on that journey I found out that my dad had been having an affair with my mum's best friend for five years when I was I think age four to nine so in all through this I thought it was all my mum's fault and then I you know I think she finally thought right you need to know the truth having him just do that um, but she'd not told you until then no and it was a family as well that we were really close to. Their kids were like almost like my brothers and sisters, really. And we'd go on um, holidays to Scotland every year. We were a big fat, you know, big family together, really. Um, and I, I do remember uh, we got, I got taken to, and um, the children of this family got taken to their grandparents one day. And on the way home, I just got told that we wouldn't see them again. No explanation why, but it was because she'd confronted him That's and why. all the rest of it. Yeah. So, so that um, was that you'd almost lost them, and they were yeah. like extended family yeah, as well. Yeah, it was. I always wondered why, and just never got told. So then, obviously, I realised why. Um, so that was um, a real turning point, and then we moved out of that um, house to a rented property, still in Lepton, because my mum. Um, she worked in town um, for an engineering firm but she also had a second job at a pub in Lepton so um, we moved there and things kind of continued re- really him doing very strange things um, I remember he, he once tried to run my mum over outside a shop in Lepton um, and he also it, she went down to talk to him about me I think and she he pretty much held her prisoner in the house until I called a couple of times and distracted him and she kind of legged it out of the window so it were, was were you there when he tried to knock her over no no I wasn't but the shop and a lot of other people were really and um, she literally threw herself into the shop and oh uh, sought her out so um yeah so the lot you know lots of weird things going on that were you know very adulty things of when things go wrong isn't it but obviously me trying to kind of take it all in so and, and make sense of yeah it. and by that point my mum was seeing my now stepdad on and off um so he was kind of in the picture as well but you know I was very kind of anti him at the beginning um and then we moved again we bought my uncle's house in Kirk Eaton and I still saw my dad on and off um, 
but then there came a point where he he basically gave me an ultimatum to say uh you either stop your mum and said person seeing each other or you are no longer my daughter so that I, I remember that as clear as day I got got out of there and I went in to the kitchen and my mum was cleaning the floor at the time I think and I told her and she was like furious obviously and obviously you know I can't do that so then I didn't see him for a good year and a half I think and I ended up in hospital with an eye virus at the time and he came he came to visit me um weirdly not realizing obviously that I'd grown up quite a bit by this point I was 14 yeah and even back then I was really into my art when I was a kid and he, he came to visit me with like some colored pencils and a pad or something like that you know like that was going to make it all better yeah um and I just took one look at him I was like hmm, no that's not happening go away reading between the lines you clearly <laughs> had a lot of issues yeah and you know now I'm older I can, I can see at the time I very much kind of felt rejected and thought it was all about me what I'd done which um, that's what children which you do, would do isn't it? of course you would do but now looking back I realize actually it was all, it was all about how to hurt my mum that's what it was about mm. and she knew he knew the best way to hurt her was through me through you so that's um you know that's really what it was about um so I didn't see him for another good couple of years and then yeah this was good so I'd always wanted a brother or sister it didn't happen my mum struggled um having kids related to the um tumor that was in her head that's what caused all that infertility ah, right. which we realized later um and then when I was 16 I knew that he was seeing another woman I didn't really know much about her my mum did she knew she was somebody from the village um and then there was this announcement in the paper that my half-sister had been born and that she was a sister to Julie who was um my well his partner's other daughter, daughter. but mm. no mention of me so I absolutely lost it oh. and uh, went up and hammered on the door um and he opened and he was like I've never seen a more shocked face in your life thankfully his partner um she she was actually quite nice and and let me in and I started going up to see um my sister every now and again just out of the blue and I don't think he loved the idea but it didn't stop until then um when I was 18 when it kind of came up about you know maintenance and things like that and he wanted to stop payment basically and mum it ended up going to court and he basically said if you come to court then you're not seeing your sister anymore you know kind of threats and all the rest of it but anyway I still saw her just kind of just kept turning up and how old were when you were 18 how old was your sister she was uh two so yeah she was born when I was 16 so yeah she was only little yeah Uh, but then I went off to uni then as well so I didn't see her as often um uni must have been must have been such an opportunity to escape it was and um yeah so before that my mum and then um stepdad got together properly and they got a pub when I was 17 um and they only came home home like a couple of nights a week um because they were running the pub so by that point I was quite self-sufficient I went to Greenhead College doing my A levels I I didn't do great at GCSEs or A levels but I kind of got through it and had loads of jobs so I waitressed a lot um the old corn what used to be the old corn mill I've spent I remember half it. my life there to be honest <laughs> Sunday nights were brilliant you know when they used to queue up I do the, it was amazing I loved it so um yeah I, I worked a lot and 
did my A-levels, got through them and then got up a place clearing, through clearing at Plymouth. I wanted to do journalism originally, but at the time, I think there was only about four unis that did that and right. my grades weren't good enough. So I did the next best thing, which was public relations and language studies, which was quite a new degree at the time. Um, and it was down in Plymouth, which, you know... It, is it a coincidence that you were on the south yeah. coast as far away from Huddersfield well, as you can When I told my mum, she freaked. She was like, really? Could you not get any further? You know, she couldn't believe it. But actually, looking back, it's probably the best thing. It, you know, I was completely out of the way. It was seaside, not Yorkshire hills. Yeah. It was so different. Um, and I loved it. And there was literally me and a friend who lived in our house. We all got put together. She was from Barnsley. I was from Huddersfield. Everybody else was, nobody was in from the north whatsoever. <laughs> we were literally the only two Yorkshire Flying people there. Flying the flag for Yorkshire we and, um, <laughs> The first ball, we dressed up as Yorkshiremen. We did. Did we, you? Yeah, with flat caps and everything. And whippets really and the yeah, whole thing. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. It was really, really funny. Um, but I loved my degree. I really, it was the highest number of assignments in that degree so me and there was only me and this other girl that did that combination so we were always like in the middle of the night doing assignments um but I did I did really well I got um got a 2-1 and yeah I really enjoyed it so fantastic yeah it was good it must have been probably the first time for years that you really didn't feel like you were having to deal with all no, that shit exactly. in the background because yeah. you were just self-sufficient yeah being Juliet exactly yeah mm. so it was yeah, it's definitely the kind of space I needed, I think, to just get yeah, away from it all. I totally Which I didn't realise at the time, but, you know, now I, I appreciate that it's probably a good idea going that far. So Plymouth didn't hold you very long because you're obviously back in Yorkshire. Yeah. So what happened after you graduated? Yeah, so in an ideal world, I'd love to have gone to London and worked for a magazine. So I did a placement there as part of my degree for a month um, at IPC magazines, and I absolutely loved it. Um but I didn't have the funding to remotely stay in London. So um, I had to come back home. So at age 22, I think, I bought um, my first flat in Mull Green that was um, £34,000. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's Not a, in this day, eh? I suppose we ought to clarify that a lot of these places we're talking about are villages and villages around Huddersfield yes yes sorry yes yeah, in West Yorkshire, yeah. <laughs> yes well you come out of university yeah. your career's going well but about your personal life so have yeah. that got any easier uh no so this is where it went slightly wrong so <laughs> at uni um I was seeing a guy for like two and a half years but he was like my best friend we were more like best friends and we started off as best friends and that's what we should have stayed as really I finished with my boyfriend back at uni and when I came back home started a relationship with this guy who was 10 years older than me um very kind of gregarious and um he's definitely a showman definitely kind of front of house showman and um was quite wacky in some ways we did we had lots of like crazy holidays and because he had a restaurant it really weird shifts so it wasn't kind of a normal life normal relationship mm-hmm. um but then, so we'd been together 11 months and I don't remember if there were any particular signs within that 11 months other than, you know, he was very kind of like wacky and showmany and wanted me kind of like, you know, dressed nicely kind of things like that. Um, and then it kind of deteriorated from 11 months in. It, it became 
quite abusive, but over a slow amount of time. So it wasn't something I, th- you know, woke up and thought, whoa, what's going on here? Is, f- you know, you, you when you read about these kind of relationships and you think, how did they not see it coming? It's it's a very slow build up. It's and almost like grooming, yeah. isn't it? It's it's yeah, it's very strange. And because he had this such persona with everybody else. Um, when it did start going wrong, I didn't think people would believe me because of what his personality was like on show. Uh-huh. I knew that everybody would be like, nah, really? Um, so he was very controlling. He slowly got rid of all my friends, um, you know, wanted me dressed a certain way, certain lipsticks, weird kind of... Looking back now, it's like glaringly obvious. But you were young. Yeah. And you'd but... come from... Uh, quite a dysfunctional your parents yeah. would have a dysfunctional relationship mm. so you didn't really have a blueprint <laughs> no that's for true yeah I definitely how, didn't you know how it yeah. might look so it was I was kind of like blindsided by the good stuff but then obviously it went wrong and I, I still to this day look back and think what the hell was I doing why didn't it get out and me now knowing what I'm like now I w- would never have stood for that so I, I can't understand why I did um but it took me a long time to get rid of him and although you, you read about relationships like this he never apologized to me he, he firmly made me believe it was my fault that he'd got angry or or whatever he, but that's how yeah that's it's narcissism it that's is. how it works yeah isn't it? but you do hear of you know them saying sorry and begging you back he never did that he never apologized he made me firmly believe it was me that instigated the problem right um so it's like so again, psychological it's, yeah and i think it's that kind of confidence thing you know of being rejected when i was young and then you know i, I start thinking is it something about me you know is is this what it's going to be like now <laughs> and maybe it, he saw that yeah maybe, maybe he saw that yeah. vulnerability yeah, in you possibly Julia, at the time yeah, yeah. possibly yeah like it if yeah. he saw you now <laughs> well, uh, well I weirdly, years ago, he won. I once bumped into him in town, and he came running up like you know nothing had happened. Hi, how are you? And I was like, "What? Did you just kick him in the knackers while you were there?" No. Well, I had um, I had my daughter in a pram, and I was just pregnant. Um, so I just turned around and said, "You know what? It's been a long time. See you later." Oh, uh, because you, you feel just, so vulnerable when yeah. you're pregnant as well. Yeah, don't I, you? Just, I yeah. didn't want to kick up a fuss, but no. equally, I was like, "I'm not going to stand here and pretend everything was rosy." Mm. So good yeah, on you. yeah. Um, so the the reason, <laughs> the one good thing about that is, I eventually found. I mean, he, you know, he was so dodgy. There were so many dodgy things about him that I'd accuse him of, and he'd get mad. But they were so true. Um, and eventually, he, you know, he got tired of me. Um, I was probably getting a bit too old and he went for a younger model who was like half my age oh my god um i know and um i found out so that was my um kind of leaving point because he knew i'd found out and i um made sure he was well and truly out of the way then you met mark yes uh, that was <laughs> the lovely mark yeah and We'd known each other for a year, actually, before we got together. We joined NTL at a similar time, um, but we didn't work in the same department. Um, and he was with somebody else at that point as well, I think. He went to uni in Sheffield. So originally he's from Exeter, and then he went to Sheffield, and that's how he ended up up here. Um, so, yeah, we, we got together and completely different to the relationships he'd had before, just Absolutely. a normal person, which was, you know... <laughs> completely new to me I say normal but you know not completely normal but, um, well as normal as you're gonna get put it that way um so yeah we uh 
started seeing each other and then got married and the rest is history. Then I got what turned out to be my ideal job, but I didn't know who it was for at the time. So you know sometimes they advertise, but they don't say which company it's for. Yeah, yeah. So the job was like, sounded amazing. Was this at the time when it'd be like in the Yorkshire Post? Yeah. In the job section? Yeah, it yeah. was actually, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it was something like that. And um had three interviews and I remember distinctly... Every time I went for an interview, S Club 7, Reach for the Stars, was playing. <laughs> so I was like, this is a sign, and I love that song. And still to this day, it reminds me of those interviews. Um, and, yeah, I really liked the boss there, and it was for Leeds United Football Club. So, again, completely different industry, um, new language completely to learn. Um, but it was working for the corporate social responsibility manager. So... Leeds United were really lucky in that they had a big department for that. So not everybody in the Premier League does. They had a big budget. They were doing well in the Premier League at the time. And they had quite award-winning projects. So there's things like football in the community, which a lot of Premier League clubs have, and an education section. But we also had a middle section that did a whole load of other community projects. So I absolutely loved it. Because, again, I was kind of given the freedom to design these projects and the budget. We had a decent budget. I bet they don't have as decent a budget now. No, exactly. (laughs) And that that was a problem. So I I stayed there four years and I ended up with my boss's job because there were loads of random redundancies the further down the league they went. Yeah. And we had some crazy young directors that used to come in and take over the place, you know, and be bought out and things like that. So in the end, um, there was literally... We had a team at one point and it just kind of dwindled and dwindled and I I lasted about three rounds of redundancy. I did quite well. And then... um, it was a case of, you know, you can either have a big salary slash or you can take redundancy and go. So I decided to go then. Okay. I've always written stories and created things. So the idea was to write a novel, which I've wanted to do for absolutely ages. So I kind of was about to start that. And then we made the decision to get dog. <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't realise would become my third child and take up half my life. So we got the dog and then obviously, you know, you spend half the day walking it and by the time it's school pickup time, it's actually not that long. No, I know. <laughs> so you think you have all this amazing time and you really don't. So um, I we got the dog. I then met um, quite a few people that were into creative stuff like me and a friend of a friend got me to go along to Shelley Art Group um, which was madness because I did not have artistic skills then. I used to dabble in art, but I went along and these are like major, really good artists. <laughs> and I was like, what am I doing here? And I think I drew a picture of Bali and it was like literally the worst thing you've ever seen. And I bet, I bet so it's nice. not. I, I can't yeah. even draw a stick, man. And it was really bad, but they were so nice because you kind of, you do, do a bit of art, then you have a cup of tea, everybody looks at each other's work, then you do another hour of art and people walk around and look at your stuff and they were so nice they're like oh, that's right. I'm thinking it's really not good <laughs> don't look um but what was really good about that is a it's really local for me so it's just five minutes down the road and b all the people are lovely and they do lots of demonstrations so that's how I kind of learned new techniques and learned to know how to paint and draw so um I stayed there quite a while I entered the exhibition which was hilarious I can't believe I did um, at that point and slowly slowly I've, I've got you know okay and I now do my own art cards that I sell at the watering can up at um, yeah, yeah, Yummy Yorkshire them. and also at Miriam's 
and they are beautiful yeah and i really i really enjoy it it's really therapeutic for me it's like it's just like active mindfulness i can't do the mindfulness things can't shut off my head but i Uh can do active mindfulness like something like that and i get lost for hours and that's that's like being in flow isn't it exactly and um and that's what i really love so i i do that and then i joined several writing groups through another friend of a friend and got to know claire really well who is um my partner in crime on several projects i'll mention in a minute and i start so i used to go to miriam's quite a bit uh cafe shop just down the road from us in kurt burton all right and we came up with the idea of i got chatting to her about what i did and she was like well you run a writing workshop for me and i was like whoa whoa, i'm not a teacher what's going on (laughs) um but i thought you know what i probably could based on ideas not the whole grammar thing but prompting people into ideas and creative writing yeah and subjects and how to get them going you know Mm -hmm. many people want to do it but they don't have a clue where to start so i devised a course around that and we did um five last year ran them at miriam's and they went really well and i absolutely love it just because you've no idea how it's going to go you can't Mm. predict it Mm. so you know it could have gone really disastrously wrong but it's that kind of feel of fear do it anyway it's a leap of faith isn't it totally but they loved it. I don't know if you've ever done the Myers-Briggs personality I test. Have. <laughs> so, what are you? Well, I realised all along I've been a massive introvert. Now, people will think I'm quite extrovert because I'm chatty and all the rest of it. But it wasn't until I left, like, an open plan office that was really glary. I used to leave that office every single day with a headache and feel exhausted. Um, and now, you know, if I if I went off for a day and did like a conference or something like that I would come back exhausted and need a lie down the next day and it isn't until classic introvert and it isn't until I've really looked into all this stuff I'm like oh my god I so get it now I listen to a lot of podcasts that are creative podcasts and introvert podcasts and they talk a lot about this that you know they can do go and do these things for a day or whatever or two days but day three they have to be on their own and I've never minded being on my own so like I know people who are terrified of being on their own and I think because I've been on my own from a young age from age you know 17 I, I don't mind my own company I can go for days being on my own and be okay it doesn't See, for me, me that's a challenge so yeah. I, you're describing your introvert tendencies in that when you've spent time in a busy environment yeah. you need to escape that and yes. have quiet time yeah i'm almost the opposite to yeah. that so if i spend too much time on my yeah. own i go you nuts i need to be yeah talking and surrounded yeah. by yeah. people so my yeah. extroversion is that i get my energy from other people from other people yeah. externally yeah, yeah. which yeah. is bloody frustrating <laughs> come on come out with me <laughs> yeah it yeah. is but i do and i, yeah. I can, so i can appreciate mm. that but from the other perspective yeah and i think a lot of um introverts tend to be creative as well because you know they're okay filling filling their own time because they've got stuff they want to do yeah. when it came to miriam you know needing more footfall i didn't want to do the networking yeah thing. so i came up with this idea of Wednesdays in particular was difficult for Miriam so I chatted my idea through with Claire who I went to writing group with and happens to be the same Myers-Briggs personality were very similar and I said you know what about this what do you think about this so we came up with the idea of wow Wednesdays which is for people who work on their own um, have their own business or just have a goal it doesn't have to be work related and what we do is meet every two weeks and it's free that's the other key thing so a lot of these networking things cost money and when you're a small business you can't afford it so the idea is we meet at Miriam's every two weeks 9 30 to 11 30 roughly 
um, they usually have breakfast and a coffee, so they pay for that, and obviously mm-hmm. that helps Miriam. And in the meantime, we go around the table and we talk about the top three things we want to achieve, either work or, you know, personal dream, and then a lifestyle um, option as well. And we go around and discuss all this, and it's just become a massive force. So it started off, we planned it for the 5th of June, I think it was, and um, it was the day after the Take That concert in Huddersfield, Oh yeah, the the wet one. Yeah. (laughs) So we, me, Claire, and another friend, Kelly, were deciding we were going to do it the next day, and we thought, they'll just be us three. Be fine. Nine people turned up, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to have a brain, because I'd been at the that concert the night before. <laughs> so I was like, right, oh, this is really happening. So we started off with nine. We're now on 36 members. Really? Yeah. So it's really taken off, and... So oh, it's like win-win while oh, Wednesday, it's, isn't it's it? It's just amazing. And the people in it, you know, you talk about life stories all got a different story they've all got completely different businesses they're all at different points of where they've begun some are right at the start some are really experienced like michelle who mm-hmm. you've spoken to and it just works because we all talk about what our goals are and everybody's got one so you know you're all on a level playing field really although you might be at different points in your life because mm-hmm. you you're all just wanting to move on a bit yeah yeah essentially yeah. what we'll do then is if you like we'll put something mm-hmm. in the show notes yeah, we'll put a link fine. to it yeah. um any social media links yeah. our website or anything yeah, like that we'll exactly. get that yeah in the show notes because yeah. i can see you know so yeah. many people will be interested yeah. in this especially like you know yeah. network phobics yeah. like yes. me yeah. <laughs> and it's great for company because at the end if you're working on your own you know you are not seeing people and it gets lonely you don't get anybody to share ideas with so it it, it totally works what i started doing in january 2019 is committing to doing a blog a week on creativity which is quite scary because i thought will i be able to talk about something every yeah, single yeah. week you're doing all these amazing things mm-hmm. you got to 42 took yeah. this massive life change pivot that has really really yeah really paid off yeah and then <laughs> well what happened next? life challenge number 20 um so yeah last year was very strange in that loads it was really positive in how it was going with what i'd set up and the website was brilliant but then some really kind of weird things started happening so my husband lost his job in july um and then came to september and i'd noticed something back in june i'd noticed a slight lump on my collarbone that I thought was like muscular. I mentioned it to a physiotherapist I was seeing at the time, something else, and he said, keep an eye on it. I promptly forgot because Mark lost his job. It was summer holidays, so we were away. Um, how I didn't know though, when I was on holiday, putting some cream on and things and how I didn't feel it, I don't know. But it came to September and kids went back to school and I suddenly remembered about this lump on my collarbone. So I instantly went to feel it, it was loads bigger. So I thought, right, what's this about? So I went to the doctors and, you know, without going into masses of detail, seven weeks later, I got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Treatment every two weeks, chemo treatment, um, which I started in November. I've already had like my midway scan and it's clear already. So this is really well treated. What was really strange in the whole thing is that only 36 women my age get it a year. Wow. 
which is, you know, quite rare. <laughs> Non-Hodgkin's is more common. Hodgkin's is the rarer one. Um, and normally it's under 30 and over 60. And I was right bang in the middle of the lowest dip on the charts. I was mm -hmm. like, wow, this is strange. Um, so, yeah, I have treatment every two weeks. The mid-scan, uh, you know, all the tumours have already gone. So I had one on my neck, one under my arm, and three small ones in my chest. But because it was all above my diaphragm, it's classed as stage 2B, which is not too bad. Um so I've had, you know, every test imaginable in the last uh, six months and treatment. The only downside to the treatment is that it makes you what's called neutropenic, which means your neutrophils in your white cells go really low. So it means you're at risk of infection. So as well as the side effects of chemo, which are obviously hard, the other really hard part is you're not allowed to go anywhere. So it's quite interesting in these coronavirus times because people are having to be a bit restricted now already. But there's, there'll be loads of people out there with cancer that are already doing this because they, ca they can't go because they can't go anywhere because of the risk of infection so when people who have this treatment quite often end up in hospital with some kind of infection at some point during this so I kind of had it in my back of mind it will happen at some point but it was literally the night before on my birthday so um, Rachel and yeah. uh, Nathan had come for dinner um, for my birthday and I felt a little unwell I felt a little bit achy but kind of just thought you know that's some of my side effects anyway and then I uh, went to bed started realized I was feeling really cold so I thought mm, temperature probably not good and the thing with this if you go below 36 or above 37.5 you have to ring the hospital immediately right. and I left it a couple of hours thinking this can't be happening on my birthday surely not <laughs> you know wishful thinking how rude I know it's, how my, rude birthday. it's my birthday what are you doing <laughs> and then I took my temperature and it was 38.8 so I was like oh. oh god so I rang the hospital I had to go straight in and yeah in for five days with neutropenic sepsis so that was fun not oh. um yeah that was really that so that's been the worst point that's, of yeah. the treatment you definitely. were very poorly weren't you yeah for the first 48 hours until the antibiotics kick in mm. yeah it's you're not in the best place <laughs> to be honest i look like death but anyway so i touch wood that's not going to happen again because obviously that sets your treatment back because yeah. you can't have yeah, yeah straight after that so hopefully i'm done around the 1st of May if everything goes to plan and then I will literally be like a caged bear released back out into the world I'm gonna be a nightmare I have warmer family that I will no longer be in the house um, oh I can't um, wait for yeah, that I can't I wait for we'll go for dog walks in the woods yes exactly and I mean I have wanted to do dog walks I did do one um, a couple of weeks back but with this blooming weather it's really oh, helped yeah to be honest the weather has been kind of a saving grace for you yeah. really because you yeah. you can't I you can't, just can't, can't go out anywhere. in it anyway yeah. it's not just you yeah no everybody's everybody. grounded yeah aren't they? exactly so but i did go out on it one day and came back it like mad and then got really mad at myself because i'd made myself worse and mm. had a bit of a meltdown about it so <laughs> i've done that since let's just mm -hmm. talk about how you so you're you're going through this scare, scary mm -hmm. situation yeah with sort of acceptance, mm -hmm. positive mindset, yeah, and um, the knowledge that it'll soon be over and you can pick everything up and start going mm -hmm. again. Yeah. Some people would, a lot of people I imagine, would be completely and utterly just knocked for six by this. Yeah. And what I'm really wanting to know is mm -hmm. how do you wear it so lightly? And, and I was saying to you before... Yeah. 
people who have been through the kind of problems and troubles that you've Mm -hmm. been through, Mm. you almost can tell. It's like they're wearing this heavy overcoat that that they're dragging round with them and and you can perceive it even Mm -hmm. as a stranger. I would wager that absolutely nobody is going to see you wearing it. You mm-hmm. wear it lightly. I, mm. I imagine everybody that finds out your story is absolutely gobsmacked. Yeah. That because there's no clue yeah. in the way that you manage your yeah. life and your emotions. Mm-hmm. So my question is, do you think that the problems and the difficulties that you faced when you were younger mm-hmm. are helping you in some way to cope yeah. with what's happening now? Yeah, I think I think that's a um, fair thing to say. I think there's several things. So my mum is an extremely strong woman um, and obviously she brought me up by herself really from 12. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, she had quite a tough life growing up and she's very much of the, you know, keep calm, carry on generation and does. she's not a fussy person and I'm not a fussy person really. Um, but, you know, I just... I, th- I think I take things at face value and, and the reality of situations. So I think when you've had so much happen to you at a young age, I don't know, I think I deal deal with things well at the time and then it might come to me later. So, s- similar with my daughter, you know, it's quite a traumatic birth, emergency C-section, she was in special care for nine days. And at the time, I just kind of went with it. Um, and it wasn't until six months afterwards and I thought, oh, looking back, that that wasn't actually right good. <laughs> Bit weird. Um, because you'd just got on with it and yeah. didn't actually release it. it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't it. process it at all. I just got on with what I had to do. And I think that, yeah, that's definitely a reaction of how I was when I was younger. Um, but also, I'm f- I've always been a person from very young that life is too short, try and do as whatever you can in this time in this time that you have and I think there's there's two things that happen around that so my auntie died very suddenly 10 years ago perfectly well one day and literally collapsed died that night I didn't know till the next morning I didn't know she was in hospital till the next day so that happened um and she was a very larger than life character so that was really shocking and also I used to be a governor at a school and the chief governor he collapsed at Christmas they thought it was a stroke and it wasn't, it was um, an inoperable brain tumour. He had a month to live, he lasted two. But again, another larger than life character that was suddenly, you know, and, and when he was living his life to the full and he had so many plans with his wife. So I think these couple of situations, um, you know, it was very much life's too short before that. But then when these two situations have been like, you know, even more so ever since he died, I was like, right, you know, you know what? It is too short don't don't be saying I'll go there in five years time let's do it now um so that's always kind of been my viewpoint I think I just have a realistic mindset is what's realistic to you yeah well to me (laughs) so who if somebody is going through a trauma or Mm -hmm. has been through trauma and they just can't uh, they're just really struggling to cope what would your sort of parting shot be what would you advise somebody to do well definitely obviously to talk to people because there's nothing worse than being isolated in that situation and feeling like you know you're in this dark place that's you know I've definitely had dark times not everything's rosy you know I have my bad days just like everybody else but I think I recognize that it's usually temporary so usually when I'm feeling down it's because I'm tired 
I I can almost guarantee it's cost, and at the moment particularly, <laughs> I'm not getting any sleep. So um, I know that that's the situation, and just to take myself to bed and look after myself. So you know, eat proper, eat at right times, and and sleep. That so self care, yeah, two really. basics right there. But as we were saying before, I think you have to have a purpose in life, and you know, people around you that are positive and have a vision of something to do i think if you haven't got a purpose it must be really difficult if you if you don't know what you want to do in life or have no like hobbies or interests i think that no reason to get out of bed yeah Mm. exactly and another thing i think as well that helps me i love writing and i think that's how i communicate so if you if you struggle to speak to people which you know some people do i definitely think just writing it all down is a massive weight off your shoulders just downloading it somehow um, so it's almost like you're taking, you take it, you're lifting it off your own yes. shoulders and putting it onto yeah. paper. Is yeah, helpful in itself. Yeah, definitely. Mm. But I also would, you know, there's so many people out there that say I'm not creative, I can't draw, I can't do this. And that's me. That's everybody, what I've always said. Everybody is creative in some way, shape, or form. You just have to find what you enjoy doing and realize it doesn't have to be perfect. And I preach about this a lot. So it, for me, creativity is in the process. It's not the end product. Juliet, thank you so, so much for this. This has been so interesting. And as I say, I just admire the way that you deal with life. And um, I suppose the last thing to ask you is, where can people find out about your projects? Yeah, so I um, when I set up the blog, I set up a website, which is called The Curious Creative Club. So if you just search that, I think it's .com. Um, and that's where all my blog posts are, which I'm doing two weekly at the moment just to coincide with when I have treatment mm-hmm. um, and everything on is on there like the workshops the Wow Wednesday detail of, of the group is on there I also have an Instagram account which again is the Curious Creative Club and a Facebook page same again thank you so much what I'll do is I'll put all these links yeah. on the show notes uh-huh. um, so Juliet we always finish off uh, the podcast with an interesting fact oh. about Midlife women. Right, okay. So, I'm intrigued. <laughs> did you know that in 16th century France, women could charge their husbands with importance as a reason for divorce? And then. Really? not only that the convicted husbands would have to prove themselves in a public trial through successfully ejaculating no way way that is gross that's so funny but i quite well this sounds really bad but i quite like that you know they're getting tried for something. Usually it's the other way around. It really it? is, isn't it? So, you know. Just make a change. Yeah. I suppose I'd rather have a wank than be burnt on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose. It, yeah, it's quite an, an enjoyable kind of thing, isn't it? I guess. Very on strange. That, and, it, and on that note, we'll end the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Well, I've learned something new there. That's for sure. I'll be telling everybody that now. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. You Thank are you. welcome.